Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining us today on The Brief. I'm your co-host, Carrie Elleveld. You may notice that Marcos is missing. He's off today, hopefully doing something great. Uh, but joining <laughs> me today for a special episode is someone you've seen before and we've had on before, but she's co-hosting today. It's Kara Zelaya. Uh, she's our Howdy. social media whiz. Yep, she's our social media whiz and one of our resident student loan experts at Daily Coast. So we have put together a special episode, and by we, I mean Kara, uh, on <laughs> student debt relief. She's done all the heavy lifting. Let me just be honest. I'm just riding the coattails. That's all. Oh, Carrie, so, you are too kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say, so the, so the interesting thing is the idea for this uh, episode came up when I wrote a piece several weeks ago, it came on the heels of President Biden telling a CNN forum about student debt cancellation, right? That he was prepared yep. to cancel $10,000 in student debt, but not 50,000. And I wrote a piece after that, that was titled Biden's refusal to go big on student debt relief is one of his biggest, uh, one of his first big stumbles as president. And that wasn't exactly well received on the Daily Coast it website. Was, I mean, <laughs> go it ahead. was the story heard around the Daily Coast front page. I mean, the way people reacted to that story, it's as if you personally knocked on their door and took all of their prized possessions. It was wild, Carrie. <laughs> and was, I didn't expect little, that. Yeah. It like, was a, from I, our progressive community, you know? Right. From our progressive community. We did have we, we got about 200 likes on that. So it wasn't it wasn't bad from that standpoint, but totally ratioed in the comments. Right. There were 900 plus comments. You know, not all of them were scathing, but some of them were. And, you know, no one ever likes it when you're when you come in early and say something bad about a Democratic president who everybody just fought to get elected tooth and nail. Uh, right. But, you know, th there was some. Let's see. There was some education we thought might need to be done <laughs> about <laughs> what about many things about how this is holding the economy back, yeah. about, you know, what we could what could be done and what can't be done so people have a better understanding of it. And also the I mean political and economic benefits of doing it. I mean people reacted it was like you said people reacted like it was a total zero sum game. Right. And if somehow some people got some of their debt forgiven, then other people were going to get totally screwed in the process. Right. That that, you know, their salaries were going to get cut in half. I don't know what I don't know what they think. I don't honestly. I, I you know, it was interesting because there's been a lot of dialogue also internally with us because at Daily Coast, we have taken a pretty firm stand that we are for, you know, the cancellation of student debt, that we really think this is a major issue. And, you know, there have been people on staff who what I loved about that piece is that the community came in and like you said, there was conversation happening on on a lot of sides of this issue. But I feel like as a staff, we really put up a unified front being 
being like, actually, here, we're here to help you get more information about this. Like, I feel like like six or seven staff members were active in the comments talking to our community. And, you know, that's a great thing that happens at Daily Coast. We encourage it. It's how we all grow together as a movement. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, you know, I I believe it was Joan, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm accrediting it to it wrong, that said, you know, this feels a little bit like when we were trying to talk about marriage equality, where it's like, what does someone else's getting married have anything to do with your marriage? And the way that, you know, we're going to talk about this with our guests too, about how there's a lot of misconceptions about where this money is going to come from regarding student debt and also who is disproportionately affected by it. Because I actually was just researching the stat, only 0.3% of people who have student debt, 0.3% of student debt is owed by Ivy League graduates. So Mm. that is less Mm. than a third of a percentage. And people act like it's this huge ivory tower issue. And then there's this all just that that 40% of student debt borrowers didn't even get a bachelor's degree. So let's, let's let's highlight that. Yeah, 40. This is this is a a real stat, right? Yeah. People who are in student debt right now, 40% of them actually didn't get their degree. And for a lot of people, this disproportionately, this, this stat also disproportionately affects people of color, you know, in particular, because sometimes they get into trying to get a degree, it becomes harder, it becomes increasingly expensive. And, you know, because of, of centuries of being behind in terms of building family wealth, right? uh, Many people of color can't sustain how expensive it gets over time to try and get that degree. So then people end up, you know, pulling out of school, having the debt, but not having the, not having the, you know, the credentials um, and the degree that allow them to hopefully get ahead, which was their initial, you know, hope, their initial, you know, so I, I would be, I actually don't know the answer to this and maybe you do, but it'd be really interesting to know how many of those people who didn't get their degree are the first people in their families to go to school. You know, you are perfectly prompting me to talk about my podcast that just came out on Friday, uh, which is called How Did We Get Here? And uh, I did a, a series of videos last year for the Daily Coast YouTube channel called How Did We Get Here? If, Where I- if you haven't seen these, they are fantastic. <laughs> and as someone I use, I was, I was, there was a short period where I did documentary filmmaking and uh-huh. I shot and I edited docs. And let me tell you, these are brilliantly <laughs> written, produced, edited by none other than Kara. So anyway, oh. I totally, I think they're great. And I totally Thank you. think you should watch them. Anyway, Thank go ahead, you. please. Yeah, so we've now, um, I'm actually, uh, after this, it's going to, the video version of the podcast that came out on Friday is going up and it's all about student debt. And on the podcast version, the, we're doing it every month, we're covering a different issue. And in the month of March, we're starting with student debt. And on Friday, I released one. And as I was editing the podcast, Carrie, you know how complicated it is when you're like editing audio and facts and all of this kind of stuff, especially from your documentary days. And I had this like litany of facts and I had this like cadence to it. And I was like, something's missing from it. There needs to be a human element. And so I called two of my friends who were first generation college goers and had them talk to me about their student debt story. And I embedded the audio of me just holding their mic and talking about it. But over and over again, we do see that first generation students are disproportionately affected by it. And I'm sure that uh, Melissa will come on here and talk about this because she's talked about this quite a bit about how we need to stop talking about student debt forgiveness, because forgiveness implies this level of guilt when 
what first generation students especially are doing is exactly what they were told to do. What society, what America has been telling us forever to do, which is get your education, get a good job, and you'll get the American dream. And so for simply having the the audacity to do that, people are now burdened by incredible student debt. The cost has just exploded over the last 20 years, especially, but even before that. I mean, in the 70s, like public education was basically free. Even for the cost of inflation, like public education, I think there was a senator who was talking about how he paid for... <laughs> do, do you remember this last week? <laughs> the, re the Republicans try, you know, as they were doing debate for the $1.9 trillion uh, COVID relief package, yeah. right? That is that is fantastic, by the way. We yes. get everything we wanted, but it's damn good. But anyway... While they were complaining about this, senator after senator was like, I went and scrubbed the floors for three dollars an hour. And I'm telling you, you can do it. I mean, you know, they're like they're like 70, you know, whatever. I don't know. Yeah, but and it, it's like someone did the, the research out of touch. Yeah. Someone did the research and it was something like a thousand one specific senator. His tuition was a thousand dollars a year. Unbelievable. And even going for the cost of inflation. And then he would make the argument over and over again that if you cost for inflation, salaries have also gone up the same amount. And that's just not the case at right. all. The idea that that, you know, um, there's also a really good article that got published a couple of days ago about uh, the cost of public colleges in Louisiana, because that's another problem is that um, it is, has become such an easy thing for states to cut is higher education funding. And there has come to the point now that most of the public universities in the state of Louisiana operate entirely off of tuition and fees that they get from their students. And at that point, we have to ask ourselves, if that's the case, how is this a public university? What What is a public university system in this country if we are seeing states that are failing to have actual public schools and are actually acting like privatized that's, institutions. I was going to say, that sounds like a private a private education to me, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of people who aren't going there anymore because of that. And, yeah. you know, it entirely changes the nature of what a, a public institution is supposed to be. I tell you what, that's a great prompt, though. Let's, yes. let's bring in our first guest. Absolutely. So I'm very excited to bring on our first guest, Melissa Byrne. Uh, she is a political and campaign strategist with a winning record on political and issue campaigns. She has a, She's a person with students loan debt. She's worked to fight for both student loan cancellation and tuition-free college because they go hand in hand. Uh, and during the 2020 cycle, she was a state lead for Bernie Sanders, where she successfully contributed to uh, winning. So, Melissa. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the party to cancel student loan debt. It is amazing seeing everybody showing up now to get us over the finish line. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we're so excited to have you here. Um, I know that you were in a green room listening to our, our little banter at the start. Any any thoughts from from right from the top? It's amazing how so how, how the president could answer one question and then have that inspire coast to coast outrage and renew everyone's commitment to make sure that we cancel student loan debt. So that is just how far we've come. And that, that now yeah. I feel like social canceling student loan debt is now like social security is a third rail topic. If you try to stop it, people are going to be like, nope. And it just blows up. It's kind of amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, that that is the power of the bully pulpit, right? The bully pulpit works both ways, right? It can, you can really persuade people or you can step in it sometimes and get people's interest. And I think that's what sort of happened with that answer that uh, President Biden gave at the CNN forum. You know, it's interesting. So you've you've done you know, a fair amount. I, I, I noticed a, a New York Times piece from several weeks ago, I think. Uh, but anyway, and and you were in it and they were talking about the differences between the Biden White House and the Obama White House. Now, I covered the Obama White House and they were extraordinarily thin skinned when it came to having their own progressive activists go after them on certain progressive issues. And those being LGBTQ issues, immigration issues, you know, climate change issues, things like that. But you've had a different experience with the Biden White House, and I found it fascinating. And then I I wonder, uh, based on your experience, you're about to get I'm going to let you give it. I swear to God. But um, but based on your experience, like, how do you get under this guy's skin? Because because part of getting you know, I always think of part of you know, getting a politician to evolve is to find a way to really, you know, push them in a way that makes it uncomfortable for them. So anyways, please tell us a little bit about your experience with the uh, Biden White House and and what you think about how to how to create change within it. Yeah. So, I mean, about a year ago, I had flown across the country from California. We won the California primary and the California team for Bernie was sent to New York State to work on the New York primary. So we literally flew into a pandemic epicenter on March 9th. And then a couple of days later, everything became work from home. And then a few weeks later, Bernie suspended. And then a week after that, I think it was a week after that, he did the event on Zoom because everything was on Zoom with uh, the vice president at the time. He was the vice president at the time uh, endorsing. And what I took my takeaway from that endorsement event is that you had Biden saying, we're not going to agree on everything, but we're going to work together and it's okay. And generally endorsements events are like pomp and circumstance and you're pledging your loyalty to the person who won. I've never seen it where it's that, we, we have different views on things and you're going to fight, you know, like Bernie, I know what you're going to fight for and we're, it's okay that we don't agree on everything, but we're going to be able to fight together and get things done. And that to me was this huge opening that what moves team Biden is robust dialogue and conversation and being able to work together in good faith. And so that was my takeaway from the saddest day for me. And I have used that to be able to get to know folks on his team to, you know, not budge on terms of negotiation, like we need full student loan cancellation, but going into that process, knowing that Biden's all about having that big table and having that big tent and being able to work <laughs> people. And so right now you see the Republicans refusing to even vote for a compromise legislation. So what we're sh- what I'm showing is that we'll get at the table. We don't agree on everything, but I'm at that table. You want to negotiate? Let's do it. And we're going to, here's why we have to do that. And like getting people really bought in. And so that's the one thing I think moves, moves the president. And I think that his team, I think he wants to be transformational. Like that's his, you know, came out of retirement to be a transformational leader. And that's what he's setting himself up for. And so if you want to be transformational, you need to cancel student loan debt. So that's that's where we are. And I think that's a big part of it is that 
as long as he's acting in good faith, which on his first one of his first acts as president that afternoon was to extend the pause on federal student loan payments. Sorry, I'm out. I only have an outside place to do this at home. So sorry, a little bit of noise. That's okay. Um, <laughs> is that he extended the pause on federal student loan debts and zero interest rates until September yeah. 30th. And ballots drop for New Jersey and Virginia governor's races on around September 30th. So I just don't see loans coming back this year. Because <laughs> <laughs> so we're really So there's a lot of good faith going on, but there's still... You know, it's not, it, we're not, ha- I'm not happy until we win, but right. we're in a good spot. Melissa, you and I had a, a previous conversation and I've had this conversation with, <laughs> we certainly did. Uh, and we, I've had this conversation with a lot of organizers and activists that one of the things with student debt, but just one of the things that's different with the Biden administration is that we're not dealing with, with a Donald Trump and, and we're not dealing with a Barack Obama or, or with a Bill Clinton. Like no one likes to see America's grandpa embarrassed, which is kind of really difficult of coming from four years off of Trump. Whereas an activist, I'm so used to just like screaming at who is in charge and, and asking for, um, for justice, to be honest. And so for, for me and for, for many of us who, who, ha- who are drowning in student debt, uh, when people talk about what a good job Joe Biden is doing, I'm like, yes, I can I can view that he is filling the cabinet with good people. I can see, you know, we just had, you know, decent success with passing um, legislation for COVID relief and TikTok, you know, like I want student debt relief. And so I think uh, there's already a lot of comments that I can see uh, from our viewers right now. Keep them coming. And there's already this conversation happening in the comments of this video of what why should we forgive student debt? Like really that simple. And I know that forgiving student debt is the wrong language. Why should we cancel student debt? (laughs) We should cancel student loan debt because we should have never had student loans in the first place. And I think that one thing that's really important to understand, like, you know, how we got here just to, you know, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Podcast is that we used to have free college and we used to be moving towards even more free college. And then this guy, Ronald Reagan happened and I hope I'm hearing boos and hisses. At <laughs> and then him and Ayn Rand and all of these people just started arguing about personal responsibility and about cutting federal budgets and moving higher education to being a wealth transfer within families. And then people are cut off from education that then you had, you know, the, the mod centrist Democrats having this bright idea that the way we can get more poor people into college was to expand student lending. So no lie, in 1995 or 96, Bill Clinton held a rally to celebrate student loan debt, like literally a rally at Southern University. Uh, Dick Durbin was there as a congressman at the time. And there was like marching bands and music. And they're like, we're expanding student loan debt. Celebrate. This is what I've done for America. And why I should be reelected. And I'm just like, I'm like, wait. So when I was in high school doing my work, preparing to be able to go to college, they were literally out here celebrating student lending as the panacea. And I think that that, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. And at the same time, we were getting the messaging that you have to go to college, 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 which is great. And I feel like that's an important message, especially to like break down barriers and to expand access. So, right. But that was the wrong way. We we have more than enough money in this country. I mean, like how many F-13 fighter jets that don't work are we building? So like, this isn't a money act. This isn't an issue. 
of money. It's an issue of values and priorities. And I think that like the folks in like the late eighties and early nineties, they were working with what they have. And, you know, I think they had a limited imagination, unfortunately, and everybody was just terrified because I guess there were all these scars because of like, because of Reagan. And so they just didn't really bounce back that well. And now in there's what they thought was the bright idea solution of like opening up debt has created like 30 years later, a different kind of crisis. And right. so I think that's why it's like, we're trying to rectify this harm. And then moving forward, we can get the free college and, you know, change lending. We don't need the government making money off student loans. So right. we still need to have some gap, some lending for students that want to go to a private college. They might need a little bit of money, then have that at 0% interest rate. Let me just go to to a twelve thousand foot view really quick, and just and just say that first of all, you know, I think we're I am getting the sense that we are starting to move away or get past this decades old Republican cudgel of government's the problem, and that's a Reagan era thing. We're gonna going to whittle down government. We're gonna you know it's all down to personal responsibility, individuals, you know whatever. The government isn't worth a darn, and it can never get anything right anyways. De- Republicans have been saying that for for decades, right? They haven't come up with a fresh idea since Reagan, frankly. And <laughs> and true, it's true, it's true. So, it's true. You know, but I think with the passage of this cr- giant corona, uh, coronavirus relief bill. People are going to feel the positive impact that a competent government can have with vaccinations being sped up, with um, schools reopening, with um, people being able to simply hug their grandkids and, you know, and get have family gatherings and things like that. That's all going to come from a competent government under a Democratic administration. So I hope we're moving away from exactly what you talked about. That was quite a history lesson. You know, when, when I think about when I think about why we need to forgive student debt. I mean, not only was the seedling of it, you know, wrongly placed, right? It was, it was just, it was like rotten from the, from the, to the core from the very beginning, right? But on top of that, we now have a whole generation of kids who, and, you know, I'm kind of combining millennials and Gen Z here. And yeah, I, right. I know I'm, it's going to be offensive to either millennials or Gen Zers, but anyway, I'm a Gen Xer. So, you know, whatever, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, we have a whole, we have a whole generation of kids who, who should be our economic drivers and our biggest producers going forward for the next couple decades. And they are saddled with debt that doesn't allow them to do things like start families, buy homes, be, you know, be an economic force that generates and propels the economy forward. And I think what people really miss when all they think about is this is a zero sum came somehow. And it's horrible to think that I paid off my student loan debts and someone else isn't going to have to. And I have to say that argument is just, it it kills me. It kills me. I've been paying student loan debts for, for 20 years and I don't wish it on anybody. I don't wish it on anybody. No, yeah, it's so, like anyway, but we, we should free this generation up and that's going to help. That's a, that's a rising tide that lifts all boats across the board. Sorry. Yep. Go ahead. And it's more than just young people. We're, there's a loan product called plus loans, parents loans for undergraduate education that both parents and grandparents can take out. So people that are struggling with student loan debt is everyone from the 17 year old that just signed on the dotted line to get their 
debt right now while they're going to Zoom University when they're sitting on their beds in their parents' homes. It's going in. People are literally sitting on their beds right now, taking class, going into debt. Um, to the person who's in their 80s having their social security benefits garnished uh, for defaulted student loan debt. So it's an everybody issue. And it does really impact the folks that are like, say, late 20s through mid 40s who haven't been able to buy homes, who are, you know, are concerned about being able to have kids, who getting, who wants to marry someone that has a 200 grand of debt? Because it's just like, hi, honey. I did that. I did that. I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It's like, it adds a bit to the, like, you know, to the conversation and to the, so it's just all these levels and it's, it does, you know, drive up the economy. So Stephanie Kelton is a professor at SUNY Stony Brook, Stony Brook wrote a really great paper and book about student debt and how canceling all student loan debt is a really good stimulus effect for the economy. Um, you have these people, I call them the bad group chat. They're the people that <laughs> They just love their, they love student loan debt and <laughs> they, throw, they, throw away, they throw around like big words, like regressive to talk about canceling student loan debt. Uh, but none of them have lived through it. So they don't understand that we're not just talking about getting rid of your monthly payment. What the cancellation does is it means you can make plans for your life for the future. It right. means you can go and you can get you try to get a mortgage for a house and you're not going to have your debt load count against you. Because even though we have this income defined repayment plans, what happens is your debt goes up every year because you're not paying on the principal. You're just managing how much like percentage of your income that you're paying each month. It makes it harder for you to get a mortgage because the, the company doesn't take into account that your payment is fixed based on your income. They just see your debt level. And so there's all these like second, third order effects of your debt. And I know some people kind of wonder like, oh, what's the downside of, of canceling student loan debt? And like, there is no downside. The money's already been spent. Most of it, like the big number about it is like, it's just interest. And the interest isn't even based in reality. It's, because you know, the whole IDR thing that people have been on for the most part since 2010, it's all like fake money numbers going up. It's not based in like reality and, you know, the... Unless I guess if somebody doesn't want to be able to have people to sell their homes to or people don't want new businesses starting or you don't want people stressed. I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe you might consider that a downside, but like, I really doubt that many people are that evil. Uh, I think most people want their neighbors to have decent lives and for us to all be able to like contribute to our communities, to not live with the shame student loan debt. And I think for a long time, it really took until like the crisis got so big that everybody kind of started talking about it. The folks that were, you know, early on in the crisis, like the folks that went to college in the late nineties before loans became everywhere. And before the 08 financial collapse really kind of suffered in silence because there was so much judgment about, Oh, you did take out loans for school. Like you failed as opposed to like understanding that your ticket to get a job shouldn't be dependent upon your parents' income. Right. And I think that it's really, I really try to explain to people that right now we have a higher education system that is dependent upon you being born wealthy. If you're born wealthy, you get free college. If right. you're not tax on your parents giving you free college, you get free college. And if you're born middle class or lower class, you have to either win the lottery, aka a scholarship, 
Um, your parents have to like suffer and like save way too much money that it's impacting their quality of life and then your quality of relationship with them. Because instead of like being home for dinner with you, they might be working a second shift and like that's not good on people. Or you have to be willing to take out a bunch of debt and you're basically leveraging your future. And so what that does is it means the rich kids can go and they can buy a home when they're 23, 24, and 25. Whereas you can't because you have debt. So you're taking away the economic impact of going to college. Right. And so that's like, it's basically like, we'll let you in the door. You can get educated, but you're not going to actually benefit from your education. And all the psychological components that go with that too, right? Where, you know, I'm someone who is exactly that, who is drowning in debt, who is the first woman in my family to ever graduate from college, let alone grad school. And like, I can hang out in the circles where there are the people who had the affluence to be able to go to college and I can be in that space but I am not in the same situation. (laughs) No. And then it's, you know, we have folks that I think are sometimes a bit more affluent who think they understand what's going on in higher education. And like, they don't like you have folks who think that, Oh, we just need price transparency on schools. And if students know what the price is, then they'll be able to make good decisions. And it's like, you either have money or you don't have money. Price transparency (laughs) doesn't really have, doesn't really matter if you don't have money. And like, you have a lot of people who think that, well, we just need to tweak the repayment schedule. And it's like, no, because the rich kid whose parents work for a VC firm, they never have to give up any of their money for higher education. They're not spending 20 years paying things back. And so it just creates this, like, it extends another generation, like, inequality in our country. And it's just, and we don't need it because, like, public policy is a choice. Every step along the way, people have made choices. People in the 90s that were in power made a choice to invest in student loans as opposed to investing in pathways to free and affordable education. Like, I went to a private college. Like, if I would have just had, like, 20 grand with zero interest rates, like that would have been like tolerable. And especially if the choice was like, I was then making a choice between like free four year public in my state versus that. So yeah, it's all, um, you know, they made these choices for us. I was 16. Like, what did I know that my leaders were signing me up for debt? Mark, and- mortgaging your future away. Yeah. Right. And, think, and then Mike, who's on next, can get into the weeds about how terrible all the servicing was. It's not even just that they were setting us up for all this debt. They then weren't even ensuring that things were going to be collected fairly. So, like, we were getting hit on every every let level. Me, let me ask one last question. And I, I'm sorry. I think we're, we're coming close to the close here. And we're going to have Mike on. He's going to be great, too. Um, but... It, you're an activist. If you were to, if there were other people saying, Hey, I want to get involved. I want to figure out what I can do to help push this. You know, what, what do you think their best avenues to getting involved are? If you can do that in a, in a sort of relatively short, you know, 10, 10 word. No, just kidding. Follow me on Twitter at MCBYRNE because I'm going to be announcing a few things. You should also get involved with um, the debt collective. They're at strike debt on Twitter. You have um, student debt crisis. If you're a member of a union, check out your unions because a lot, lot of unions are speaking out on this because it impacts their members, both their members' debt as well as their kids getting debt. And just and then you can always go to whitehouse.gov and send a letter to Joe Biden. The more letters that he gets, <laughs> that you want full federal debt cancellation by executive action. And they can do it by EO because they put in um, Elizabeth Warren and Menendez 
got into the American Rescue Plan that debt cancellation will not be taxed. So over the next five years, so just gotta get it all done. And there's no tax penalty, and then we can move on to things like ending the endless wars. Hey, great! <laughs> great. Thank you thank so you. much. It was so great Go. to see you, and good to see you, Kara. Yeah, thank you. Wow, that was great. That yeah. was great. I didn't even realize that that got... Did you know about that provision? In I the did. American I was going to bring it up in the second half of this because we're going to talk to Mike and I'm sure he has a lot to add to that. But um, yeah, so this is... I was wondering, um, I actually kind of need it explained a little bit because I'm not full of the minutia of it, but what I got from the Warren camp and the Schumer camp who are really pushing for this with the COVID relief bill is that this is just like another facilitator into getting... Um, Joe Biden to forgive student debt, to cancel student debt. Um, mm. And I think we need to kind of clear that up because you and I read about this constantly, but a lot of people who aren't aware of what is actually being proposed right now is that Warren and Schumer have gone on and said that we are, they're pushing for uh, President Biden to uh, do $50,000 with a student debt cancellation. And there has been, according to... <laughs> much smarter lawyers than I am. Um, I'm not a lawyer at all. Um, they've found that uh, basically through executive power, Joe Biden can do that through the Department of Education. And so right. it is really just a matter of pressuring him. And with a swipe of a pen, we could we could have that change ASAP. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. You know, his um, answer at that CNN forum was just a little muddy. And so, I mean, along with other things, but right, he said, I I'm prepared to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt, but not to do the 50. And it sounded like what he was, he, that he said, I would like to see legislation on my desk or something like that. I can't right. remember the exact, but it was close to that. And it sounded like he was saying, well, maybe I'll cancel $10,000 through the stroke of a pen, but I want to, but if we're going to cancel $50,000, I want to see, I want it done legislatively. And if you have the if you have the power to cancel, you know, ten thousand dollars with a stroke of a pen, well, guess what? You have the cancel, you have the power to cancel fifty thousand dollars with a stroke of a pen. So, right. you know, anyway, go ahead, please. No, I and you know, I wanted to touch on this when Melissa was on, but when we were talking about how this is something that generationally impacts younger people, that's definitely true. But you know, I've had this conversation with my brothers, my, my old, you know, like my, my family, my friends, like we're all riddled with student debt. And we're constantly asking ourselves, especially those of us who are first generation, like, what if something happens to my parents? Like, what if my parents get deathly ill? I, I have no way of helping them. Like, I have no way of helping them. Every single penny and dime is accounted for in my life. And that is the case for millions of people. And so this idea, and, and also from like a more snarky sort of end, are you telling me that people who went to get doctorates and are doing scientific research that the older generations aren't benefiting from it? Like the people who are out there in like creating vaccines right now, who are nurses on the ground, like the people who are saving older people's lives right now are younger people drowning in student debt. Like that's just a fact. So higher education benefits everyone in our society and this idea that it's a young person's problem or that oh my god that uh why should i pay for your debt it's like well because we're coming up with cures we're coming up with scientific developments our education is benefiting society as a whole so it's just oh carrie i get so mad <laughs> <laughs> well it 
Yeah. I mean, and, and to your point and something Melissa said too, this isn't just something that, I mean, it's clear if you look at the polling that this is truly affecting, um, you know, 18 to 34 year olds in sort of a like disproportionate way. Right. But I had someone on Twitter respond to me and say, look, I'm 65 and I would take, I'm working right now because I'm still paying off student loan debt. And I would take, I would take any, you know, amount of cancellation that President Biden wanted to give. So this is someone who's, you know, technically retirement age, who's still working because she's still trying to, to, you know, to undo, you know, to pay off her student loan debt. So, you know, I, I have to say something real quick about the political benefits of this before we move on to Mike, because um, I think he might go in a different direction. But the political benefits of this, I just want to remind people that that. Young voters, voters under 30 turned out at historic levels this past November, right? I mean, they even more so, I think the estimates were that that, uh, 51% turned out in 2008, right? When everybody thought Obama was the second coming of turnout. And and they actually turned out, this group of people turned out at 53% or more um, in terms of voting for, and they voted two to one in favor of Biden. Right. Okay. And and in particular, youth of color were very instrumental in voting, in turning out more so than they have in the past and in voting in favor of Democrats. Right. Um, so, you know, there is a there there are a whole bunch of first time voters who got out to support Democrats partly because they were watching a president who was losing his mind every day on Twitter, but partly because they were they were moved by the idea that Democrats could do better, that Democrats could run the government better. And the best way to turn those voters into solid, loyal Democratic voters for life and get them to turn out is to do something that will measurably improve their lives while also helping the rest of the economy. Exactly. So anyway, and also yeah. we're Democrats. This idea yeah. of pull, you know, pull yourself up from your bootstraps, that's not what we're about. Like, that's just yeah. fundamentally not what our party is about. <laughs> well, and some people don't have boots to pull right. up. So, you know, it's great when they're like, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you can't afford boots. That, right. right. That doesn't work. So anyway, do you want to you want to introduce? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike. Yeah, absolutely. So we're very excited to have Mike Pierce. Mike is the policy director and managing counsel at the Student Borrower Protection Center. He's an attorney, advocate and former senior regulator who joined SBPC after more than a decade fighting for student loan borrowers' rights on Capitol Hill and at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. No big deal. Mike, hi. Hi. (laughs) How are you today? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah. Any, I know that you've been hanging out in the green room. Any, any thoughts uh, coming in from, from where we've been leaving off? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think the political question is really interesting, too. I'm happy to get into the weeds and, and, and put my wonk hat back on. But I, I really do think that there is, uh, I think, both an enormous political upside on being the student debt president. And I think there's a tremendous political downside from the perception of inaction here. And, and you know, I, I hate to say it, but Donald Trump did more for student loan borrowers than any president in my lifetime. Yeah. He suspended student debt. He canceled it at many different junctures. He got the raw political benefit of standing up for student loan borrowers and much to the dismay of every progressive out there that wanted desperately to get him out of office. Now the pressure's on president Biden to live up to that. And that's, 
fortunate or unfortunate. I'm not sure how the politics cut, but the reality is the precedent's been set. Well, if we're we're talking about the about the politics of it, what do you think the best way is? I'm always I'm I just answer this question or ask this question over and over again. What do you think the best way is to to push the Biden White House on this? I think there's there's kind of three good arguments. Melissa really laid them out well, but I think that there's there's three good arguments for why we urgently need to cancel student debt. There's the the moral one, there's the economic one, and there's the racial justice one. And I think that the, the Biden administration gets all three of those. Uh, they ran on the most progressive agenda for student loan borrowers. If you look at the Biden-Harris campaign website, this lives in the racial equity section of the Biden, uh, sorry, canceling student debt lives in the racial equity section of the Biden-Harris campaign plan. Uh, I think that that Melissa did a great job of laying out the moral case for canceling student debt. Higher education is a public good. It never should have happened. In important ways, we need to repair the damage that's been caused by our flirtation with debt finance, higher education. But separately, we're in the middle of a very slow recovery from an enormous pandemic, and the economy needs the shot in the arm. And to, like, to quote Senator Warren, this is the, the largest consumer-driven economic stimulus that Joe Biden can do with a stroke of a pen. And to right. unilaterally disarm on student debt, it's political malpractice in addition to hurting the economy and in addition to not doing everything we can to close the enormous racial wealth gap and economic disparities that kind of continue to plague the American American society, the economy. Yeah. Um, Mike, you know, I, I, at Daily Coast, we love, we love wonk. So we want you to get wonky, but uh, we also had a conversation, you and I with, with uh, our comms director, Carolyn on Friday. And you said something to me that was very striking, which is I asked you the argument that I hear, the question that I hear over and over again from people who push back on canceling student debt. And I'd love to hear your answer again, which is, well, who's going to pay for this or mm-hmm. why should I pay for it? And so I ask you as an angry commenter, why should I pay for someone's student debt and where is that money going to come from? I think the exciting part, I mean, I'll even take a half a step back from that. I think the really exciting part about this conversation is that we've moved past the very narrow uh, congressional budget politics of student debt cancellation. Um, when Joe Biden says, send me a bill now at this late hour in March of twenty. 21, I think everybody that's been doing this work realizes that that's actually not the right frame for the conversation here. It would have been wonderful if Congress passed a piece of legislation to cancel student debt, uh, but it's also unnecessary because Congress passed a different piece of legislation, the Higher Education Act of 1965. And that gives the President of the United States the ability to cancel student debt. Uh, the Secretary of Education is actually where it's vested. It gives the, the, the Secretary the ability to cancel student debt for tens of millions of people with a stroke of a pen. And so we can sidestep those really challenging budget politics and instead have a conversation about how much we expect people to pay back rather than how much we need to spend. And um, I think the point you were trying to tease out of me, Kara, is that that there is something fundamentally different about how much we expect people to pay rather than how much the government is going to, to pay. We are not actually spending any new money here. We're just taking less from the American people. So we are not spending any new money here. We are just taking less from the American people. That's like my byline tomorrow. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, that's such a like revolutionary way of talking about this because the way people, I I mean, I've been very rage tweeting about this on Twitter for the past, like, I mean, four years, but forever, um, where people talk about, like, I I think a lot of the rhetoric is very similar to people being like, Obama's going to come and take our guns when we talk about canceling student debt. And we're all like, what are you talking about? No one's going to come in and like, pickpocket you to help with our higher education system. 
Anyway, <laughs> it's just something. Oh, just- I, that's, I think that's exactly right. Let me just let me just say, and I'm I'm asking this question. Most of the, a lot of the questions I well, I, I'm curious. I'm curious as a general rule, but sometimes I ask a question that I know an answer to, and I don't know the answer to this question, um, which is sometimes I see something like, oh, well, if we cancel all student loan debt, it will cost, you know, I don't know, eight hundred billion or something. And I think what you're saying is, I, I think I've seen a number like that thrown around. Now you might be able to say, no, that's not the number, and I'm happy for you to correct me, but. Um, I think what you're saying is, is it does, it's actually not costing anything. It's just that the government isn't going to collect that money from people. Is that what you're telling us? I just want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And that Congress authorized the student loan programs and required the federal government to make these loans to people. But it also provided the Secretary of Education with this awesome discretion about whether or not to be repaid and under what circumstances. And that's very different than having to go to the Senate Appropriations Committee and ask for one point seven trillion dollars to cancel all of the debt. It just doesn't work that way. Right, exactly. And one other thing is how would what what's the rate that the federal government charges on this? Because I think this is this is a number that most people aren't familiar with and it's kind of crazy. It's not like the federal government is lending money and say, just give us back the money that it costs, you know, I mean they're oh, yeah. lending yeah. So what's the what's the the annual percentage rate on this? So it depends on the loan you have. And there are certainly loans that are subsidized and the rates right now are actually pretty low because interest rates are so low. But there are borrowers out there that are repaying their student loans at seven, eight, nine percent federal student loans. And it's like a credit card company. It's yeah. worse. I mean, in some cases, but it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're Visa. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, I think if, if you'll indulge me, I'll plug a piece of research that we came out with yesterday. But absolutely, um, we, um, along with our friends at National Consumer Law Center, my organization, the Student Bar Protection Center, put out a new report that looked at how income-driven repayment isn't working for people. And so for a long time, like to borrow some of Melissa's history lesson, for a long time, we saddled people with debt and we said, you'll never have to make a monthly payment you can't afford. That's the deal. And if you make those payments for long enough, we're going to cancel it on the back end. Maybe that's 10 years if you're working in public service. Maybe it's 20 or 25, depending on what kind of debt you have. But that's the deal. We don't really care how much you borrow because we're going to cancel it on the back end. And even if your monthly payments don't keep up with the interest that's accruing, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to work itself out. And the paper that we came out with yesterday, um, our, our colleagues at NCLC got some records from the education department and discovered that 32 people had ever had their debts canceled under income-driven repayment. This, wow. This 32. Um, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's too big of a group to gather with indoors during COVID, but that's basically, <laughs> that's basically where we are. Anything else you could imagine. Um, and, and I think that, that, that we, what we, what we found in our, in our research was that more than 2 million people have debts from undergrad that are 20 years old or older. Right. And so you're talking about the chances of you being struck by lightning is actually greater than having been one of those people with decades old debt and getting debt cancellation under income driven repayment. Um, so when you ask the interest rate question, I, th- I think it's actually, I, I, I maybe to tease it out a little bit, it's, it's two things that you're asking. One is what makes this debt so unaffordable? And the other is why is the government making money off of student loan borrowers? And I, I think the answer in part is that we wrote rules that assumed there'd be protections in place for borrowers and they just didn't materialize. And so now we have a student debt crisis. Yeah. I, I- I mean, that 
that piece of information is mind boggling to me because I think that there's a lot of misinformation when it comes to student debt that just makes the rounds or assumptions that people have where it's like, just pay it for 20 years and stop complaining. And then you hear this thing where it's like, that's not necessarily how it works. But, you know, I want to go back to a point that you said earlier um, regarding Donald Trump being the president who has done the most for student debt cancellation. And it's, uh, I've talked about this with Melissa as well, where, you know, we're coming up to a year where I've had a, all of us who have federal student loans have been had a freeze where we don't have to make student mm-hmm. loan payments. And this is the first time in, in my adult life that I have a savings account. This is the first time that I've able been, ever been able to put money into a 401k. And every single person who I know who's doing, the, who's in a similar boat as me, we're all kind of at this point where it's like, listen, if, if this doesn't continue, if we don't get some mm-hmm. sort of cancellation, like I'm not going back. Like I can't go back to how it was before the pandemic. And that is a terrible thought to have because this has been such an, a wild year of suffering and, you know, just pain constantly throughout the country. And so I, I would love to hear from you the case uh, beyond the, the $10,000 that Joe Biden is proposing, because that would help a, a lot of people. There, there's a lot of data mm-hmm. that does show that. But why is that not sufficient? Um, there's a, I think there's a bunch of reasons. They're, they're kind of narrow household finance reasons why that's insufficient. There are millions of Americans that are struggling under the burden of their of the student loan payments, and ten thousand dollars just isn't enough to clear away the debt completely for most student loan borrowers. It will mean that about a third of all student loan borrowers will be debt free with a stroke of a pen, which is an extraordinary achievement, but it's not enough. And I think the other reason that that we would argue at least that it's not enough is that. There are a lot of borrowers who wouldn't be debt-free with that level of debt cancellation that have been promised debt cancellation already. These are borrowers that have been defrauded by for-profit schools. These are borrowers that had been paying an income-driven repayment for years or decades. These are borrowers that are working in hospitals, uh, teaching in public schools right now that have been serving their country for a decade or more and have fallen through the cracks of a broken public service loan forgiveness program. So I think when Joe Biden says, I will cancel 10 and not a penny more, He's missing the other half of the story. And the other half of the story is that he inherited a very broken student loan system that has already broken promises to millions of student loan borrowers. It was never supposed to be this bad. It was never Congress's intent that it be this bad. And Congress now is just too broken to actually fix it itself. I mean, that's part of the problem. But as you say, Congress already already empowered him with with the ability to fix this problem, and he's just refusing to do it. I mean, just to get clear on his position, do you think what he's saying is, I have the power to do 10,000, but I want the Congress to put through something for 50,000? Is that what he's saying? Because as we said before, if he can if he can cancel, if he thinks he has the executive power to cancel mm-hmm. ten thousand, he has the cance- the power to cancel all of it. Forget fifty thousand. He has the power to cancel it all. So I I, I um you know I would I would encourage you to ask the president that question. But I would say I, I uh, uh, Joe Biden's Jackie, coming on next week, folks. <laughs> one of the one of the really wild things about the moment that we live in is that every time the president gets asked this question. Uh, the next day, uh, Jen Psaki has to clear it all up. And I think the, the morning after that CNN town hall, her comments were, we haven't made any decisions about what right. tool we're going to use to cancel student debt. The president has decided that, that it is appropriate to cancel $10,000 for the student debt, but also to help borrowers in all of these other ways. And we are working on it right now. And so I, I would say, I, I don't think it's, I don't think that the, the, the White House's position on this is as firm as maybe those comments would suggest. I think that I think not only is yeah. he movable, but um, I think they are moving. 
I think that's true. I think you're right about that. You know, one of the, just a couple things for people. Ron Klain is a way is the chief of staff, and he's way more progressive, for instance, than Rahm Emanuel was when he was chief of staff for for Obama. Yeah, not a high bar. And, <laughs> not a high bar. True. Uh, fair point. Fair point. That a, that's a low bar to clear. But um, but also Jen Psaki, one thing she did was she kicked it over to the Department of Justice and said, we're going to we're going to have them study this. That, I think that was for them to buy time in mm-hmm. order to come up with a real you know policy that they could get behind on this. And I and I wonder you know, where they're going to land. But the thing is, I want to be able to affect them, affect them before they land there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what he said, what Biden said at that CNN forum turned into more or less a stumble. And Saki cleared it up by saying, we're going to click this over to the Justice Department. They're going to, you know, they're going to figure out how much power we really have. And inside, I guarantee, just like you're saying, there's a inside inside the West Wing debate over what, where exactly, how much they're going to cancel, whether they're going to claim that they can do it all by executive order and all that stuff, right? And I just, I can't, I haven't figured out what the pressure point is of this White House, right? I know that people in the Obama White House, people literally getting in Obama's face at like, at speeches and, you know, heckling him and doing protests that made him look not as progressive as he thought of himself, that actually got under his skin. And, you know, Biden is very teachable and I can't figure out what I mean. I think he's grown into the position already and he can grow more. And I can't figure out the best way to get him to grow where I want him to grow. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Anyway, if you have any feelings, I would I would love to hear. Sure. Uh, I I mean, I I think that there's it seems like that you're you're totally right that this is an opportunity to educate the president and to educate the president's staff on the effects of student debt on people's lives. And there's great opportunities to do direct action here. We have partners at um, Student Debt Crisis and at the Debt Collective and other organizations that have been organizing student loan borrowers for years, sending petitions to the White House, sharing people's stories. I think that the president in describing student debt, I know you guys talked about this in the front half, but the president in describing student debt as a as a, a risk of taxpayers subsidizing Harvard and Yale grads shows a misunderstanding of who has student loans that that should be teachable. And, and I think that that you know I think we all kind of believe that you you have to do all of these things right. You have to make sure you're right in the law. You have to make sure you're right on the policy. You have to make sure you're right on the politics. But you also have to make sure that you're, you're framing the issue in a way that makes sense to the people that are that are wielding power here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're we're running a little short on time, um, but I guess Mike, I, you know, I would... let's just go. We've got no time limits. Let's go another thirty minutes. What the heck? I mean, you know, it's not like we're we don't have to cut for commercial break. You know? No, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. No, you're but doing. Like, I mean, you know Harry, you don't have to tell me twice to keep talking about student debt. That's right. Just for the heck of it, we're going to run a little over and say, you know what, Marcos, we had the power and we took it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Go ahead, Kara. Uh, I just wanted to know, Mike, from from the research that you've done in in the last, I mean, however many years, but you know, you you've come from being in, in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and now you're an activist. Now you're suing people. You know, like you've really kind of taken quite a turn with with this with this particular subject and with with this crisis that affects people. And so I, I would love to hear just from a personal level, what has caused that shift in you and, and what you've seen that you think the average person 
hasn't seen or doesn't understand about this issue and how your expertise can can shed some light into how broken the system really is. Sure. Uh, and I, I actually will give the same piece of advice that I give to every new lawyer that starts on our team. When we started at CFPB, Congress, so, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is the agency that Elizabeth Warren conceived of, uh, was designed in response to the financial crisis and the foreclosure crisis uh, as like a one-stop shop for financial regulation every time American families touch consumer finance. And mm -hmm. obviously student debt is a big chunk of that. And one of the things that Congress told us to do was to take complaints from student loan borrowers, to have people that run into trouble with the student loan system reach out to us for help because at that point in time, there really wasn't anywhere else for them to go. And so uh, for better or for worse, my job was standing that up and reading every single complaint that came into this agency wow. over the course of seven years. And mm -hmm. We wrote a lot. We talked to a lot of people. We have, I think, a pretty strong critique of what's broken in the system. And and to be frank, understanding with some precision where it fails families is the fastest way to radicalize you. There just is no better way to understand the difference between numbers on a spreadsheet and people's lives than listening to them when they tell you what's wrong. And so I think more people need to listen. But the first thing that we do when we're having that conversation with somebody that's new to the issue is send them to the public database of consumer complaints that lives on, on consumerfinance.gov. The CFPB actually publishes the stories that borrowers tell them about companies like Navient and Fed Loan Servicing when they've been denied their right to an affordable student loan payment or cheated out of public service loan forgiveness. And there's just this incredible historical record going back a decade of every way the student loan system has failed American people. That is a perfect plug for a little project that we're doing at Daily Coast, Mike, because we've talked about this at Daily Coast constantly, where it really does come down to humanizing the issue and giving people real examples. And a colleague of Carrie and I's, uh, Jessica Sutherland, uh, as a response to Carrie's piece, actually, that started this entire conversation on our site, was dismayed a little bit by some of the comments that were in mm -hmm. Carrie's student debt piece and uh, as actually collecting stories. So it is currently under the YouTube link right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, it's the first thing that I put at the bottom. And if you have a student debt story that you would want to submit to Daily Coast, you can do so there. Um, if not, you can Google Daily Coast Jessica Sutherland, and it's her latest <laughs> story for us. But uh, she really, we really are collecting these student debt pieces, and we are planning on polishing them up and, and publishing them and, and getting them to, to the powers that be, because we... We can talk about the statistics and, and all of the numbers day in and day out. But once you realize how deeply this affects people, how this affects people of all ages, how it is a, a consumer like protection issue fundamentally and how our government has failed us, it it is just such an easier sell, not just to the American public, but to the folks who who run our government. Right. And 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 I, I will say, as someone who covered, you know, the, the LGBTQ movement for a decade, it wasn't until people started reading those like really awful stories about what happens to families based on, you know, being cut out of legal protections and things like that, that that people start to understand and feel sympathy for why you know, two people, two people of the same sex might want to get married or, you know, and might want to enjoy those uh, legal protections for their families and for their kids and things like that. But and so so that that's all a part of the education of the American public. I will say that Daily Coast did a quick 
Civics for Daily Coast did a did a polling on this, and already it polls at nearly 50% support for canceling $50,000 of student loan debt. But on top of that, let me just make sure I don't get the numbers wrong here. Civics is our polling wing. Yes, Civics is our polling wing, right? And and they do things separately, but they also do things in conjunction with with us. Um, They do a weekly or or biweekly poll for us, something like that. Anyway, so, but 58% of voters 18 to 34 supported $50,000 cancellation in debt. And and then it was wildly um, supported among Black respondents who had 83% support for canceling it and Latino respondents who supported it 69%. So you can even see that those numbers go up. It starts at a 50 point, you know, and some, some, some polls have found higher starting points for canceling that much student debt, but you can see it goes up in gradation based on who it's affecting most, the younger voters, the people of color, you know, and it goes up and up. And so anyway, that's one thing, but let me just have, we're at 229 and we're going to get in one last quick question because we're going over. Yes. <laughs> Carrie, you're like, mad with power. <laughs> I am mad with power. I have so little of it and I'm taking control. Okay. So Mike, I just did have one last question about the economic economic benefits of, of canceling it. And if you could just, maybe, maybe you have better numbers, you could put a fine point on what it me- would mean for the overall economy if you freed up this, this generation of folks who are sort of laboring under this debt. Um, so I'm actually going to make that point two different ways if I can borrow our bonus time to do it. The first is um, freeing people of their student loan payments is going to give a boost to the economy. It, it allows families to be able to spend their money elsewhere rather than returning to the government. And uh, there was a, a, a great piece of uh, research done by Stephanie Kelton and some others at the Levy Institute that found uh, the effects on GDP are significant. But I actually like to answer that question a slightly different way. So we did some research earlier this year that we called the secret price of student debt. So when you're thinking about the government pausing payments and what it means to cancel student debt instead of telling people to just worry about it later, families that have student debt with high student debt burdens um, will spend $30,000 over a lifetime just living their lives and using other financial products. Products. So that means a more expensive mortgage, a more expensive credit card, a more expensive car loan. So when you're freeing people of student debt, you're not just canceling the debt and freeing them of the interest payments they'd make back to the government. You're making it easier for them to live full economic lives. And they can actually be better participants in the marketplace for super financial products. They can live the American dream in a way that they wouldn't be able to. So there's this this secret price that people are being asked to pay right now just because they have this debt on their credit reports. Right. Right. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much, uh, Mike Pierce, for coming on with us. And uh, I want to say thanks to our our viewers and our listeners for joining us today. You can subscribe to this uh, show as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify. Are there others? Stitcher, Google Podcast, wherever you get them. Right. (laughs) We're on there. We're on there. Go get it. So if if you would rather listen as a podcast, uh, we're there for you. And I want to say special thank you to Kara Zelaya for putting this together. She got our guests. She conceived of the program. And our producer, Walter Einenkel, who's always there for us, uh, pitched in a little extra to make this show go based on the fact that Marcos is, is away. Be well, be safe. We'll see you next week on The Brief. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.